many of you know, other than just my hillbilly nasal twang, that I'm from Missouri originally. I got to Colorado as fast as I could. I moved here in 1994. No plans to go back. We're, my wife and I, Summer, are originally from the St. Louis area. So, even though we don't have plans to go back there for any reason other than to visit, when something happens in St. Louis in the news or whatever, our ears perk up. We read those news stories. Recently, my brother sent me a book called The Soul of St. Louis. And it was a, a, a book, a research project this guy did about uh, researching revivals in the city of St. Louis. Primarily the late 1800s, early 1900s, how there were some times when amazing, amazing things happened in the churches in St. Louis. Revi- great revivalist preachers came in, people like Dwight L. Moody. You know, Moody Bible Institute is named after this guy. Moody Bible Church in Chicago is named after Dwight Moody. Uh, other preachers that are, were world-renowned came and preached in St. Louis for weeks on end, sometimes several months, as many as four months. I think Dwight L. Moody was there in St. Louis preaching five nights a week for four months, preaching in the Colosseum, in different churches, and literally tens of thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They would have meetings where the, the inquirer meetings, they called them, And people would come and listen for an hour and a half to uh, Dr. Moody uh, speak about the gospel. And then they would fill the inquiry rooms uh, and signing all the papers. It It was a pretty big ordeal for people to get into the kingdom, it sounds like. But there were tens of thousands of them. And the churches grew like crazy. And it transformed many areas of the city, of commerce and interaction with people. It was transformed as all these people were coming to Christ. And people made the mistake of thinking that St. Louis was going to become a Christian city, like it was a done deal for the rest of history. The interesting thing, as I read further in this book, it was only a period of about 20 years later as some of those pastors passed off the scene, passed away, retired, and those kinds of things, those churches in the next 20 years, some of them had already drifted so far that they actually were participating in the ridicule of those who were so fervent about people coming into the kingdom. And that some of the same churches, maybe, I don't know, some of the same people, but some of the same churches that had been involved in these great revivals across the whole city. Now, as I read that, being from St. Louis, I thought how much like somebody launching into the Mississippi River, the Mighty Muddy, over a half mile wide there at St. Louis. It looks like it's just kind of still until you launch your boat into it and find out how fast it's headed toward the city of New Orleans. And how much undertow there is. And how many dangerous places there are in the mighty muddy. And I thought, you know, those people mistakenly thought they could just kind of coast along. They could quit paddling and they wouldn't go downstream. And so they quit paddling and they ended up far, far downstream in some places they didn't want to be. I believe with everything in me, truth is the same way. The truth that you and I have and handle and live with every day. On July 2nd, in life journaling, I came across, as any of you who are life journaling did, the book of Jude. 
usually just one page in your Bible, 25 verses, eight paragraphs, not very long at all. I've read it several times, a lot of times. And on that day, I'd been reading this book, The Soul of St. Louis, and I came across a phrase that spoke to me about my life, about our church, about our city, and I was moved to that because of being so bothered by the fact that these people in a city like St. Louis could be so complacent that in a short period of time they could drift so far downstream. So, if you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude, it's next to the last. Turn in your iPads, smartphones. Uh, if, you're, if you're like me, sometimes and you're lost, you just Jude, J-U-D-E, type it in and do the search. It'll come up. Uh, I, I can't always find those one-page books. I keep turning past them. Jude in the New Testament. And I want you to engage with me for a few minutes on these few words that the Holy Spirit used to minister to me. And for the last month, God has been wrestling with me over these few words. You see, I talk with a lot of people all the time. If you know me very well at all, you know I talk, okay? And (laughs) Pastor Chad knows that. But I hear what a lot of people are saying about spiritual things. And I hear a lot of things that don't match up with the Bible. And I'm faced with the same dilemma you are. And that's what this passage will speak to us about. The dilemma is, do I speak up or do I just smile and shut up? Now, if you know me at all, there aren't too many times. I may smile, but there aren't a lot of times when I just shut up. But we need to know how to speak up when it comes to this thing of the truth. Are you ready to follow with me? In Jude, and I highlight some of these if you have it open at all on your iPads or your Bible or phones or whatever. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Jude, brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Those are just some phrases that say, hey, I'm writing to the people who are born again believers in Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, so he wanted to write the letter about salvation, but he was compelled to do something else. He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Some translations say contend earnestly for the faith. I like that translation better, stronger. Contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. In other words, God knew from eternity past that this was going to happen. These people were going to creep into the church with bad teaching. These ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. In this passage, and especially that phrase, contend earnestly for the faith This is a challenge, I think, for every one of us, beginning with me, to have a high value for truth. The first first core value of Fellowship of the Rockies is we have a high view of Scripture. That means we view God's Word very highly. It's, It's the inerrant Word of God, which also gives us a high view of a sovereign God and also gives us a very high value for the truth of His Word. So we value truth. I think in this passage, there's a challenge for every one of us to identify 
downstream drift in our own lives to see if we've stopped paddling against the current of, of our society around us and if we're drifting somewhere we don't want to be. I think it's a challenge to have discernment and not just silently, nicely nod our heads and smile when someone states a belief and it doesn't agree with God's Word. I said earlier, Jude started, he said to these people, hey, I wanted to write to you this long letter about how awesome it is to have salvation in Jesus Christ, but I had to set that aside because this was a more pressing matter to write to you to contend for the faith. There were false teachers who were teaching things that weren't true, and they were causing that church to drift downstream. There was a need to contend for the faith. So I want to let God's Word challenge us. The title of this weekend's sermon is, Are You a Contender? Uh, many of you will think, you know, are you a contender or just a pretender? Listen, I'm not going to get into that with you. God can speak that just like He has to me. At the end of the sermon, I won't even come back to that. But hey, God will speak to each one of us and say, you know, are we drifting downstream or are we paddling upstream when it comes to this thing of God's truth? So, I think we need to ask uh, four questions as I've studied for the past month and I've wrestled with this myself. I, I needed to understand what, what this means for me to do. I needed the answer to at least four questions. And those are the four questions I want to share with you today. First question is this. What is a contender? What does that really mean? If I'm going to contend, then how do I do that? And what would that look like? First, I, I think we need to understand what it doesn't look like because... I've been a pastor for over 35 years, and I've encountered a lot of religious nuts. No other way to say it, hardly. They want to fight about everything. They want to argue about everything. That, it is not a person who's always contentious. That's a different word. A contender is not one who's contentious. The dictionary says contentious means causing or characterized by argument or controversy tending toward argument or strife, quarrelsome. Please don't confuse being a contender with being contentious. In the book of Titus, the apostle Paul was writing this young pastor, and here's what he said about that being contentious kind of thing. In Titus chapter 3, he says to Titus, remind them when you're preaching, when you're leading your church, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Later in that same chapter, verse 9, he says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the spiritual law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Now, those are strong words, aren't they? So if I'm quarreling about all of these spiritual things with people and I'm going around picking a fight with people about different things that are pet peeves for me, the Bible says that's unprofitable and worthless. So a contender is not the person who's always ready to start an argument over Bible trivia. A contender is, is not the person who is the one breaking rules yelling at the officials in any sport, screaming at their teammates. The right word for that person is disqualified. It's not a contender. That's one who's disqualified from contending. 
So let's look at what a contender is. Not a contentious person. That's, that's a different word. But a contender is this, I believe, in, in the spiritual realm. One who stays focused on the truth. Always focused on the truth. This person knows God, knows the rules of the game, knows the rules of competition, knows how to stay in the game and not disqualify themselves. The dictionary defines contend as to struggle in opposition, to dispute earnestly, as in contending against falsehood or untruth. So, for Christians, uh, the opposition already exists. You see, we don't have to pick a fight. Satan picked the fight eons ago. The fight is already in existence long before we ever came on the face of this earth. It will continue if God doesn't come back. It will continue long after we leave the face of this earth. So I don't need to look for a fight. It already exists. The person who is a contender simply joins the fight that Satan has already picked with Christians and with the gospel and with God. And the contender lives by God's rules, plays by God's rules, so they're not disqualified. And guess what? The word contend doesn't mean to go out, pick a fight, have a fight, and then go on home. The word contend has in it the idea of you join the struggle and you never quit the struggle. It's ongoing. It's a rest of our life kind of picture. Now, lest you think, wow, that sounds really tiring. I don't think I can do that. Remember, Colossians 1.29 speaks about, uh, Paul spoke about the fight, the struggle. And he said, I strive with all of his strength. It's not our strength. It's not up to us to have the power, the strength. It's up to him to provide the strength for the contending that he asks us to do. 1 Corinthians 9, the apostle Paul says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way that you get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown or a wreath that won't last But we do it to get a crown, a reward that will last forever. Therefore, Paul says, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man who is beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I think the Apostle Paul is challenging us to compete or to contend in a way so we don't get thrown out of the race. Uh, the, the, I mentioned earlier, some of the translations say contend earnestly. A good word is contend diligently without stopping. Be serious about it. We need to understand that as contenders, it's a call to be diligent. It's a call to respond to the power He gives us and to continue doing that against the enemy, Satan. Next question, who is the opponent? I've already kind of given you a hint there, but we can misunderstand it if we read this passage and don't understand all of Scripture. You see, if we're going to contend, there has to be an opponent. There has to be a rival. We're not just contending against ourselves. So who's the enemy? Verse 4 says this, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God 
into sensuality and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds like those people who pervert the gospel are the enemy, but let's get all of Scripture and let's understand what the whole of Scripture teaches. 1 Peter 5.8 is only one of the passages. The Apostle Peter says it this way, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, here's what I want to submit to you. We are not contending against other people, ever. Even if they're a false teacher, a blatantly false teacher, we're not contending against them. It's not a battle with them because... Think of your own experience. If you've come to know Jesus, if, you've, if you are born again, what were you like before you came to know Jesus? Were you all peaches and cream? Were you wonderful? Were you pro-God? I dare say in this room, some of us were not very pro-God before He got our attention. And so, if we contend with those people and give up with them and call them the enemy, we may pass right by the best opportunity for them to know the truth and be transformed by the very Christ we know, the, the thing they most need, forgiveness and salvation. And so we need to understand, when we're contending even against false teaching, we need to understand the enemy is Satan and his lies, even if someone is speaking those lies. We never give up. We never give in. We never surrender the high ground. But we are not fighting with other people. Satan is our only opponent, and he's very deceptive. We need to have the Holy Spirit's discernment in the battle. Third question, what is the faith? I need to know what this is. I'm saying to you, the faith is that whole body of truth that the Bible teaches about salvation in Jesus Christ. And the, the, the faith is nothing more than that. It's nothing less than that, but it is nothing more than what the Scripture teaches. About 35, 36 times in the New Testament, the phrase, the faith, is used. Most of those times, it's used to describe this whole body of truth that surrounds our faith, our uh, salvation in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says this, And the Word of God is talking about the early church. And the Word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Second Timothy, the Apostle Paul is writing this young pastor. And he says at the end of his life, he's telling Timothy, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure, my death, has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, I've been around quite some time. Back in the 70s, there were a lot of cool, really deeply socially significant phrases. One of them I remember was, keep the faith, baby. It was on bumper stickers. It was on everything. We had other great sayings like groovy and far out dude and stuff like that. Can't really understand why those didn't endure, but hey, Mike, you remember those. Don't laugh at me. Uh, But they were just saying, uh, I think they were saying, Uh, I don't really know anything to say. Your situation sounds kind of tough. Uh, Keep the faith, baby, and I'm getting out of here because I don't know anything else to say to you. But it didn't go far beyond that. 
And we're guilty of saying those kinds of things. That's not what we're talking about here with the faith. Uh, The faith is something serious because, look at this, the Bible says it was once for all delivered to the saints. Well, that doesn't sound like some cheesy little saying, does it? It's much more than that. It is all that there is to do with our salvation, all the truth that it takes for us to understand salvation. And guess what? It was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, let's back up and, and get all of this. Once for all delivered. That means I don't have to look for some new word from God. There are a lot of movements that are looking anytime they gather. They're looking for some new word from God, a word of knowledge, a word of truth, a word of prophecy, a a new word, and somebody stands up and speaks some word, and they forget to check and see if it lines up with God's word. And there are many times that those new words don't line up with God's word, and when people buy into that new word, they're buying into something that is a counterfeit. It doesn't line up with God's Word. I don't need a new word. I have the Word that is once for all delivered to the saints. I just need to read it. I need to know it. And I need to know it well enough that I can stand on it because it's once for all delivered. It's settled. We don't need any new truths. The foundational truths of the Scripture are not negotiable. That's what this means. This Faith is once for all delivered to the saints. Let's pick up. What does it mean, the saints? There's some misinformation about saints out there. Is this some super, a group of super Christians that has been venerated by some church group and set on a pedestal as much more holy than you or than me? Not at all. It's not what the Scripture means. As you study the New Testament, the word saints simply means those who have been born again who've been forgiven and who've been adopted into the family of God, and we are the saints. Just common people like me, like you, who have been given God's Spirit and transformed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who the saints are. So, he says, contend for this faith, that whole body of Scripture that teaches us the truth about salvation. Know it. Because it was once for all delivered, and it's delivered to every person who will believe in Jesus Christ, not just to a few super holy people. Final question. How can I identify counterfeit beliefs? I better be able to know counterfeit ones, or I'm just standing there nodding and smiling, thinking they're saying the same thing I believe the Bible teaches, and I'm you know, ignorantly smiling and nodding, and I didn't listen closely enough because I don't know the truth. So how do I know counterfeit beliefs? Here's the short answer. Write it down. Three words. Know the truth. It's that simple. Now, gaining that knowledge is not as simple as writing down those three words, but those three words are the answer to that. You say, okay, Dwayne, how can I know the truth? This may sound simplistic, but the best way I know to start knowing the truth is join us as a church family in life journaling. You know why? Because you'll spend time every day in God's Word, and you'll also be reading like we were today in John chapter 6 and some Old Testament, 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, some history of Israel, the people of God, and you can come to church or you can call somebody you know in church and say, hey, I was life journaling this morning and I have a question about this. 
Now, it may be like happens when people come up to me and say, wow, I have this question, and they expect me to know all that, the answers about it. And I go, whoa, I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to have to go do some study and research to find the answer. However, we have a common ground where we can help each other move forward in knowing the truth. And the truth that you don't get today, that the amount of truth you don't learn today or tomorrow, you may learn next week or next month or I'm still learning every day I read God's Word. So you may get next year, and over time, if you'll invest the time with us, you'll begin to know more and more and more of the truth. They tell me, I've never been in banking, but they tell me the way they train bank tellers to identify counterfeit is they just give them the real thing all the time. Count, 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 count. Handle, handle, handle. And they're good at it. Every time I go to the bank... All of my life, you know, they'll uh, uh, cash a check and they'll say, thank you, Mr. Arledge, and they go, like that. I don't know about you, but I take the envelope and I open it and I go, one, two, three. Now, I've never found them to be wrong. They're good at what they do. They, and when they handle the money, they, a bad counterfeit, they can find immediately. Now, I know. And when the illustration breaks down, they're really good counterfeiters and those kinds of things. But listen, the way you and I can know counterfeit is we just handle the truth all the time, all the time, all the time, every day, constantly, till it becomes a part of us. And when someone speaks a counterfeit, we can know. The basis of all counterfeit in Scripture, in spiritual realm, is denying Jesus Christ. Let me give you a passage of Scripture. 1 John chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. If you don't have a Bible, write it down on your notes. If you have one, highlight this whole passage wherever you're turning to it. 1 John 2, verses 21 to 23. The Apostle John is writing to Christians, and he says this, I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Underline that. Highlight that. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Stay with me. If someone says to you, I love God, I just can't buy into this Jesus thing. Hey, they don't have God either. The Scripture clearly says that. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. The root of all counterfeit belief is denying the truth about Jesus. Let me give you a few examples that I run into pretty often. Uh, I dare say you run into them too, but I don't want to walk away from this saying, hey, you know, just figure out some counterfeit stuff. You should know that. Let me give you some, some simple ones that I run into all the time in talking with people. The first one is this. I'll say something like, hey, tell me, you know, has there been a time when you accepted Jesus Christ? Are you a Christian? Were you born again? Or what's your spiritual journey? Any number of questions like that. And they'll go, oh, I've always been a Christian. Counterfeit. Here's what the Bible teaches. John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to a guy named Nicodemus who was a super religious guy, and he said this to him. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't get in unless you're born again. He said this to a guy who was, who was more religious than any of us. The truth of that counter, to that 
counterfeit is you must be born again. It's a choice you have to make after you're old enough to make those choices to understand that everybody has sinned and everybody needs a Savior to forgive them and a Lord to take charge of their lives. So it, nobody has always been a Christian. I know when someone says, I've always been a Christian, quite possibly they've never been a Christian. That's not judgmental. That's not mean. That's not contentious. We're just standing on truth of God's Word. Another counterfeit I hear all the time. Well, I don't know about Jesus being God, but I believe He was a good man. Let's look at something Jesus said. John chapter 10. He said, I and the Father are one. In other words, I'm one with God. Now, if He was a good man, but He wasn't God and He said that, then He's a liar. Liars aren't good men. So, the truth of it is, He was more than a good man. He can't be a good man and a liar. Another counterfeit I run into often. You have to work really hard to earn salvation. In other words, if you're not really good, God is not going to let you in. Romans 6.23 says this, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation, the truth is, salvation is a free gift for all of those who repent of sin and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Two more counterfeits. You can be saved by grace. That's, it's free. But if you don't keep up, if you don't perform up to a certain level, you, you're not going to keep it. You're going to lose that. I grew up in churches that taught this. The Bible says, in fact, in life journaling just about a week and a half ago, I came across this passage in 1 Peter that absolutely kicks that counterfeit right out the door. 1 Peter 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, that gives how we're saved through Jesus Christ. And we're, we're born again to a living hope. We're born to an inheritance that is imperishable. Big word that means it's never going to go away, never going to die. Unfading, kept in heaven for you, uh, undefiled. Four phrases there that say, it's not going away. Who by God's power, we by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that will be revealed in the last times. In other words, God is the one doing the guarding of my salvation and He's good for it. I don't have to keep guarding it. He is the one. I don't have to watch the door to say, Oh, hey, Jesus, am I still saved today? Am I still born again today? When I give my life totally to Him, He takes over. That's the truth of it. Last counterfeit. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. You heard that? I hear it all the time. You can be sincere and still be sincerely wrong. Listen to what Proverbs 14, 12 says. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You can think you're doing right, but if it's in your own eyes and it's not according to God's truth, the end of that way is death. John 14, 6, Jesus Himself said this, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I'm a good way and I'm mostly true and I can give you some life. Um, you probably ought to choose my way, but there are some other ways. Not at all. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. And so, no one can come to the Father except through Him. If you know the truth, you can spot counterfeits. Listen, 
God's Holy Spirit lives in everyone who's born again. This contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to those of us who are believers is not in our own strength. He gives us the strength, the power, the ability to know His truth, to grasp His truth, and to identify counterfeits and to contend without being a bunch of contentious, quarrelsome Christians. He will do that in us. And guess what? I think if we, beginning with me, if we allow God to do this in us, all of southern Colorado will see a change. And if we will paddle upstream and keep paddling upstream in the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll see an eternal difference, not only in Pueblo, but in this county and in southern Colorado and in the world beyond.